Well, now we will get to our message or our word today, continuing in our series of forgiveness, but of course a little subtext title, The Sins That Hinder Us. This will be sort of a part three of sorts. So if you would please turn your Bibles or devices to 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we'll read verses 9 through 15, but of course this is sort of a thematic sermon so it will come from 1 Timothy 5, 9. It will, that will be our starting point. We will definitely go through the text of Scripture to show you how it fills up this particular item or theme. So 1 Timothy 5, beginning at verse 9, and we'll read through 15. It reads, Let not a widow... Be taken into the number under threescore years old, or sixty years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse, for when they have been have begun to wax wanton or have lust against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith, and withal they have learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, Guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that your word might have effect, for we know that it is effectual. We pray that it might have a measure of grace on our heart to be able to push us and show us the sin that hinders us from forgiving. Draw us nearer to you because we have been forgiven. Show us how and keep us safe in the divine arms of your grace. We pray that you might give me strength to be able to preach this word without anything lacking. And if there be anything lacking, please admonish me. Let us hear the word, let us receive the word, and let us extend the word to those who do not know. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage of scripture, we have the Apostle Paul advising his successor, Timothy, on how to handle widows concerning their welfare and support from the church. You see, during this period historically, and I would argue as a, as a church of God, we should not neglect this principle even today. The idea of keeping a count of widows or keeping a roll or a roster of those widows who would require financial and physical care was very important. The importance of this practice and principle wasn't just because they were old, although the text does state that one qualifying factor is that they had to be 60 years of age or older. But the principle wasn't just important because they were relatives or Christians, because if any brother or sister, especially of the household of faith, needs help, we who are of the same household have a responsibility to help. That's what is alluded to in verse 8 of the same chapter. But the significance was 
these factors and the fact that they were older women widows. The historical context was this. If an older widow's husband died and there was no male heirs around to maintain the property or land or to receive the inheritance, she could be in danger of losing her property or her home. You have to remember, at this time, there are no constant patrolling police officers like we have today. There was no 911 to call. And as a 60-plus-year-old widow, there was little protection against actual thieves and marauders from taking your property. Also, you have to remember that the Jews were under Roman rule. And if Caesar found out that there was no heirs to inherit a, a particular area of property or land, if he wanted to, he simply would just take it. And it would be much easier to take away from an older widow than probably any other demographic in Judea or the land surrounding. Now I can already hear some of you Old Testament scholars saying, Pastor, that's against God's law, the Torah, and that you would be correct. God's law always had a protection and welfare of women in mind, even though the world says it is a misogynistic patriarchal book. Now, we don't have time to go through this extensively, but in Numbers 27, you don't have to turn there, but there was a father who had five daughters. I'm going to mess this name up. The father's name was Zelophehad, who died. And in the inheritance of the land of Israel, a certain portion of land was to be given to his male heir. But here's the problem. The circumstances came out that, that Zelophehad did not have a male heir but he had five daughters. So Moses entreated Yahweh, God, the Lord, about this. And basically in verses 7 through 11 of Numbers 27, a law of order of lineage inheritance was made to determine what should happen in such a case where women or daughters inherit the land and there is no male heir in their family, or if the male heir had died. Numbers 7 through 11 Said the daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them a possession and inheritance among their father's brothers and transfer the inheritance of their father to them. And you shall speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brother. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of the clan, and he shall possess it, and it shall be for the people of Israel a statute and rule as the Lord commanded Moses. But here's the thing. Do we expect Caesar, Rome, a nation who allowed the unjust murder of an innocent man, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, to observe God's law? No. And so wisely, and I believe through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle counsels Timothy how to create a welfare or a fail-safe, a role for widows should they lose their husbands. But what does that have to do with the lesson about backbiting, pastor? Well, really, it doesn't. I just thought it was cool to kind of ex exegete that chapter, so I did. But in all seriousness, it does have to do with the nature of being a young widow. But in general, men get out their anger or aggression through fighting, right? 
That's why scripture on the flip side admonishes men not to be brawlers, angry, violent men without any natural control. But women in general get their frustrations out through talking. And some of the talk can become vindictive and malicious. And this is the admonishment we see in the text for younger widows, the Bible says. Idleness coupled with the female attitudes can equal, in some cases, gossip. Now, every Christian, male or female, should be on guard for this sin of backbiting. But God knows better than anyone his creation. But we can glean from Scripture two characteristics which serve as an emotional breeding ground for backbiting. And those are idleness and the need to express feelings. A young widow is more likely to have both of these. This is why Paul says to Timothy, don't put these widows on the welfare list. Let's think about this realistically. If a young woman, a wife, loses her husband, there are all types of emotions running through her mind. And on top of that, if the church is providing full support for her, there is a chance she could become idle. And what happens when you become idle? The old folks used to say, it's the devil's workshop. You do exactly what the text says. Look at verse 13. It says, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Now, I'm not saying that Paul is saying that every young widow all the time would do this, given the chance. But we can't ignore the fact that it is a possibility or probability. Nor can we ignore the wisdom of the apostle and the inspiration by which he pins this down. It is holy scripture. The inspiration is holy. The insights are holy. And the advice is holy. So we would do well to take heed and to take caution. But the text says they go from house to house. Why? Because they're lonely. Simple answer. They have nothing else better to do. And here is the danger of sin. It is subtle. And even sin can come from the thought or the idea of a good place. And if we are giving everyone the extreme benefit of the doubt, most backbiting and gossip doesn't start as in a malicious way. Think about it. You're lonely. You're emotional. You're frustrated and genuinely need someone to talk to. But these young widows, after they go from house to house, they are going to gain some knowledge of certain things as people talk. Those certain things may make them upset. And they may want to tell someone else about their frustrations. And slowly that can turn into unfruitful conversations that isn't edifying to anyone. But actually turns into conversations that begins to tear down everyone. This is why Paul says in verse 14, look at verse 14. I will therefore that younger women marry, have children, bear children, guide their houses, give no occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Who is the biggest adversary of Christians? Satan. The same adversary is against Christ. 
As a matter of fact, his very name, Satan, means the one who opposes or the slanderer, the one who slanders. In Revelation 12.10, after the victory of salvation and power and authority of Jesus Christ is declared, it says that Satan has been cast down, but it goes on to say on that same verse that he is the one who accuses, slanders the brothers day and night before the throne of God. It's what he does. He slanders. He backbites. Even the term backbite implies pain. Behind someone's back, you are devouring their reputation. Satan accuses. He lies. Thanks be to God, we have Jesus Christ in his word. What does Romans 8.33 say? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Praise Jesus. But we should not be caught in doing the same thing our adversary does, slandering and backbiting. It is not loving the brethren. It is not loving our neighbor. And this is definitely not just a New Testament principle, but an Old Testament as well. We'll be going through scripture. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, let's begin at verse 16, and we'll read down from there. It opens up directly in verse 16, Leviticus 19 and 16. It says, thou shalt not go up and down, go around as a talebearer or slanderer among thy people. Neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. He says, don't go around telling or slandering other individuals amongst your people. Who is the people of God, the elect people of God, Israel? He said, don't do that. I am Yahweh. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not hate your brother in your heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. That means speak to him directly and not suffer sin upon him. Look at the association. Look at verse 18. Thou shalt not have revenge or avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am Yahweh. I'm the Lord. See, not only do we see slandering associated with the behavior of going around and spreading false witness, but we see it associated with one of the greatest commandments in the Bible, loving thy neighbor as thyself. But there is also practical wisdom. Look at verse 17. Thou shalt not hate your brother in your heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. That means speak to him frankly, directly. In other words, rather than going around and slandering, going up and down from house to house, talking about how horrible someone is or how they wronged you or discussing their behavior you might not agree with, speak to the person directly, frankly. And if you have good witness and just cause, rebuke him directly. But don't do it behind their back. Don't backbite. 
You see, backbiting means malicious talk behind someone's back. Backbiting has another quality that a Christian should not have, and that is cowardice. In the book of Revelation, also in other passages, we see these names of different individuals, these names of sinners, thieves, swindlers, liars, etc., 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 sexual immoral, etc. But in that tally, God puts in cowards. Cowards will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a sure principle. So if we take that principle for the Christian, we should not be cowards. And also, too, you have brothers and sisters who love you because we have been commanded to love and commanded to forgive. So how much more should you give them the opportunity to either forgive you or ask for your forgiveness rather than backbite? I would say we have a mandate. But backbiting is what happens after bitterness sets in. It begins, the bitterness begins to fester, and because bitterness is sin, all you can do with sin is add more to what? Sin. So the sin of bitterness transforms and sets itself in motion. It has to act. The bitterness that was once in the heart must go out and manifest itself. And that manifestation is gossip, backbiting. Backbiting can simply be described as gossip. Also, bear in mind that once a person has gotten to this phase of their hatred, forgiveness is the furthest thing from their mind. Negative or malicious talk may feel good for a moment, while you can get some of these things off of your chest, but ultimately it does no good and can actually do great harm, even separating close friends. So we'll go through Proverbs, very practical. Let's turn to Proverbs 17. 17 and 9. 17 and 9. We'll stay in Proverbs for a while, so just keep your places here. We'll keep going forward. Proverbs 17 and 9. It says, he that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates friends. This is why an unforgiving attitude is so dangerous. Do you see the potential pattern of hatred that can be started just by not forgiving? Read Proverbs 17, 9 again. To paraphrase, it's saying, the one who closes his mouth about someone else's sins that was told to them in confidence is the one who seeks love. But the person that gossips about such things separates friends. And what do we read last week about the brother or sister who has been wronged? It said, a person who has been wronged is like a heavily guarded city and a castle with strong bars. It is impregnable. It is impossible to get in, almost. But we have the Holy Spirit. So the one who backbites, who was betrayed, who allows bitterness to set in, just set in motion a wider cycle of unforgiveness by spreading gossip. Now the one person who gossiped just made two more people. And could offend two more other people who were friends and feel betrayed against one another. And the cycle 
of unforgiveness begins to turn and continue to go. But now instead of one person, you have three people. Now, I'm not a mathematician, so don't charge it to my heart, charge it to my head. But if one person betrayed through backbiting can make three, that means three can make nine. Nine can make 27. 27 can make 81. You get the idea. Perpetuation of sin. Whole families have been destroyed due to an unforgiving cycle of backbiting. Whole ethnic groups have been separated and even whole civilizations off of word of mouth. Look at verse 10 of the same proverb. Verse 10 of 17. It says, a reproof enters more into a wise man than a hundred lashes stripes into a fool. It says telling someone truth in correcting them enters into a wise man easier than a man who is froward or who is sinful or a foolish man getting beat with many stripes. Remember, the betrayal is what started all of this. Then the bitterness was what perpetuated it, and the gossip is how it is broadcast. You could almost view the sin that stops a person or that hinders someone for forgiving like a wildfire. The betrayal is the spark that ignites the flame. Bitterness is that which grows or helps the flame grow, and backbiting is the unquenched fire or the logs that are put on that make it huge and makes it spread from every corner of the heart. This is why Jesus says, now not that which goes into the mouth defiles you, but that which comes out of your mouth defiles the man. Matthew 15 and 11. But let's keep going. Go back a little bit. Proverbs 16:27. Proverbs 16:27. What does it read? It says, an ungodly man digs up evil. And in his lips, there is as a burning fire. Whew. It says, an ungodly person finds or fishes for information, seeks validation through trying to gain more information that is evil. What does it say in verse 28? It says a froward man, that's an old word that means a contrarian, a difficult person to deal with. A froward man sows strife and a whisperer separates very close friends. I think the kids say besties or whatever. Besties will be separated. Oh, and, and by the way, a small little note. Going house to house has just changed. House to house could be Twitter for you. House to house could be phone calls or Snapchat or whatever new app they have for communication. But it says this type of person sows strife and whispers these things and breaks up strong bonds between friends. Look at verse 29. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him into the way that is not good. Look at verse 30. 
He shuts his eyes to devise froward things. He thinks about it. He ponders on it. He imagines how he can do it. What does he do? After the imagination of the heart, then comes the action. He moves his lips and he brings forth evil to pass. The old saying is true. Misery loves company. Backbiting is used to make a person feel better about their sin of bitterness. Backbiting seeks out those that will affirm the sinful nature and behavior. Gossip is used to gather sympathy, but also used to provide relief from the conscience that knows it ought to forgive. So today we'll grow through a few components about the attitude of a gospel. We'll keep on going backwards. Go to Proverbs 10, 18, 19. Proverbs 10, 18, 19. It says, he that hides hatred with lying lips and he that utters slander is a fool. In a multitude of words, means transgressions, which is unavoidable, Wants not sin, but he that refrains his lips is wise. Wow. Proverb often talks about the tongue and how it is a very powerful member. Now, we don't believe in speaking in things into existence, but it is a powerful member because it is where we receive communication. We can damage someone's reputation or we can build it up. We can edify, we can preach with the tongue, or we can destroy and tear down. Proverbs eleven thirteen, a talebearer, a slanderer reveals secrets, but he that is, of, that, that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Now, this is not talking about concealing sinful, wicked things. They, they should be exposed as quickly as possible in the house and the church of God. Don't misconstrue the word of God. This is talking about the area of confidentiality. If somebody confides in you, if somebody is making a confession to you or counseling with you or trusting you with vital information, you should not reveal it. Proverbs 13.3, he that keeps his mouth keeps his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. I can't tell you how many times as a young man I was in a situation with my brother's I'm like, man, would you please just be quiet? Just stop talking. You're making our punishment worse. Just be quiet. We all were mischievous when we were younger. High schoolers, breaking windows in the high school. Maybe it's just me. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm saved by grace, though. But, uh, but no. It says, he that keeps his mouth keeps his life. He that opens wide his lips and says everything shall have destruction. Let's skip over to Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, beginning at verse 20. Remember when I used the analogy about uh, fire, about how backbiting is, how it, how it broadcasts, how it grows? Well, I didn't get that from anywhere. I got that from the Bible. Look at verse 20 of Proverbs 26. It says, where no wood is, the fire goes out. 
If there's nothing to burn, then it goes away. So where there is no talebearer, slanderer, the strife ceases. You ever heard the phrase, time heals all wounds? Like, you know what, that was, that was silly. I'm, I'm so sorry for that. But if you keep rehearsing it, if you keep having someone rehearse it, if you do yourself, you keep building it up, it's like a fire that never goes away. It burns deeply in your heart. The backbiting nature of it. It builds and it grows and it broadcasts. But where there was no wood, where there was no talebearer, there was no slanderer, it goes away. It ceases. The strife ceases. Look at verse 21. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is the contentious man to kindle strife. You ever see the old cartoon movies where they're, they're like chunking the coals in there? It makes the train go. It's a locomotive. It needs energy. It needs fire to move. If coals are not put in there, the train is not going anywhere. The train of unforgiveness can't move anymore. The flesh can't take over if there is no coal to ignite the flame. There is no tail bearing. Look at verse 22. The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down to the innermost parts of the belly, the soul, the bowels. Deep seated, you are internally poisoned. Verse 23. Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a postured covered with silver dross. Let me explain that. You ever read the book of Job where uh, Job had sore boils all over his body? And he said he was in so much pain to receive any type of relief. He took some postured, broken pottery, and he would scrape the boils off of his skin. He was in so much pain. The Bible says that burning lips are like a posture, broken pottery. It already damages the skin, but, it, you, but you add an extra element to it. You put salt or silver on it, and it burns even more. That's the analogy that the Bible, God's word, is painting about backbiting. It is harsh. It is coarse. It is painful. Look at verse 24. He that hates disassembles with his lips and lays up deceit within him. When he speaks fair, believe him not. When he speaks good things, when it sounds smooth. In the Old Testament, they told the prophet Isaiah, tell us smooth lies. Make it easy for us to make it palatable for us to keep perpetuating it. When he speaks fair, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart, whose hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed before the whole congregation. Whoever digs a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolls a stone, it will return upon him. See, the thing about backbiting is that it's kind of like relationships, right? If you're in a committed relationship or you're in a courtship or you're in an engagement or you're married, if somebody breaks the covenant or breaks the idea of the relationship 
and they're willing to cheat on you, then how can the person that they're cheating on from you with trust them? If you're telling me all this about this other person, then what are you saying about me when I make you mad, when you're upset with me? It's like a person carves away a stone and they're trying to roll it and the stone rolls, rolls back on top of them. That's what the Bible said. Verse 28. A lying tongue hates those that are afflicted by it. And a flattering mouth works ruin. It uses the same word that it uses for the, um, the harlot in Proverbs. When it says, when, it's, when it's, 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 it's commending young men, it says, Don't listen to her flattering words, for her steps go down to the pit. The same language. It said it works ruins. A person who gossips should not be able to go to a Christian and receive validation of their sin or validation of their lack of forgiving sin. We'll close down with two more areas of scripture. Turn to Matthew, 20, uh, excuse me, Matthew 12 and 33. Matthew 12 and 33. <coughs> Excuse me. What does it read? Matthew 12, 33. It says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruit. O oh, generation of vipers, how can ye be evil, excuse me, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. Whatever is in the heart is going to come out. Which is why for the Christian, it is so monumentally important to forgive. Remember Christ in your moments of anger. Remember Christ in your moments of self-indulgence of victimhood. Remember Christ who forgave you. So you also must forgive. Look at verse 36 of the same chapter. It says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That means every little flippant thing you said, every little thing that you couldn't, couldn't even remember, God is going to rehearse that at the day of judgment. Now for the believer, if they're a true believer whose slanders or gossips or backbites, your rewards in heaven will be reduced. And for the unbeliever who slanders or gossips or backbites, your punishments in hell will be increased. Either way, you will have to give an account to Christ, who is the ultimate judge, who is rightly to judge, have to give an account for your deeds and be judged justly. One more verse of scripture. 
And we'll close here. Turn to Galatians 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13. We'll read through 15. It says, For brothers, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but to love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But what does he say in verse 15? But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, pay attention, that ye be not consumed of one another. You see, backbiting in our day and age, I'll use an analogy. Backbiting is like a virus. What does a virus do? For one, it ravages anything it's able to infect. It causes severe harm in some cases. And then the virus has a mind of its own. It desires to spread. But a virus doesn't have the ability to spread or even live on its own because it's a parasite. And what does a parasite or a virus need to survive and spread? A host. Backbiting is no different. If there is no one to host the backbiter, no one to validate them, no one to give a listening ear for their victimhood, eventually the backbiter stops And if they're a Christian, they will be convicted and confronted with the Holy Spirit himself, which is almighty God in the heart. And they will have to forgive through Jesus Christ. Do you know how to take the emotional ammunition away from a backbiter? Forgive them. Or ask for forgiveness. No matter which end of the situation you find yourself on, whether you be the one slandering or the one being slandered, know this, ultimately there is nothing about your character that is worth defending over the precedent of forgiving, which is a commandment given by Christ. I was having a dinner with the brothers last night, and we talked about, you know, being men of violence and being gentle men, meaning kind of joked around having guy discussion like every woman every wife every person in relationship you know every woman wants a man with an edge right you know you want to you know if if you're going on a dark alley you want to be able to make sure the guy's not going to take off right you know but ultimately you want that edge to be controlled when it's necessary not a brawler not a man of violence but you want it to be controlled and disciplined Forgiveness is no different. I could slander you, but I'm choosing not to use those vindictive words. I could say this about you because I have all the information, but I'm not going to tear you down. There's no need. Because my character is not higher or worth more than Jesus Christ's character. The offense to me is nothing in light of eternity, but the offense 
to my brother and whom I'm going to worship around the throne of God with for all eternity is everything. I will not have my rewards taken for idle talk. I will not offend my Lord Jesus Christ for not forgiving my brother. See, the hindrance of non-forgiveness is not worth forfeiting the peace that Jesus provides daily. Check this out. You can understand why you're offended, but can you understand the peace of God? Can you understand the joy of God? It is not able to be spoken, joy unspeakable, the peace that passes all human understanding. I would rather rest with Jesus in the incomprehensible nature of his character than to tarnish my brother's character. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, we come before you with hearts of joy that we have your word to admonish us, to teach us, to guide us into all truth. We come before you thanking you for a wonderful Savior that even in the midst of slander and backbiting, he said, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Thank you for a gentle Savior that was compassionate and had all the power in the world and outside of the world to destroy us and leave us to our own devices. But we thank you even more for the power to forgive our souls for sinning against you. Thank you for not agreeing with the slanderer because we are sinners. We are wicked individuals. We are wretched. But the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of your only unique son, pardons it all. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making us clean. For we could not do it ourselves. But it required the sacrifice of Jesus. Let us not forget how to live this practically. Let us forgive our neighbor. And especially let us forgive our brother or sister in the household of faith. Because Christ is greater. He is more. And he commands us to forgive. We bless your name. We honor you. We pray that we might continue to boast in you because there is no good thing in us. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.